you know, and it started with, you know, drinking at friends' houses and experimenting and, and things of that nature. And another thing I didn't see at the time was I, I always um, used in excess and I didn't see that for what it was. Like whether I was, um, you know, stealing alcohol from my parents or stealing alcohol, alcohol from my friends' parents, I, I always drank to get drunk. And there was always like a... I was always just compelled to. You know, I didn't really see any point in not doing so, um, and and that, you know, and that progressed into smoking pot and seeking pills and things of that nature. And you know, another thing I, I didn't notice at the time was it didn't really matter what it was. It you know, it never mattered to me. Um, like I said, I was very numb to consequences of my actions and repercussions and things and. All right. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in to Genki Ideas. Uh, my name is Dan, and I appreciate you checking it out. This, the point of this podcast uh, is to talk to addicts and uh, maybe deconstruct or analyze uh, the addictive tendencies and kind of how they got into that type of behavior in an attempt to hopefully uh, help some people who are living in that type of lifestyle and, and realize that they have these addictive tendencies and they want to channel that energy into something more productive and constructive and healthy. Um, so uh, thanks very much again for tuning in. I apologize for the way my voice sounds today. Uh, part of that is normal, but the other part is having a sweet and adorable toddler uh, that likes to rub his snot-covered nook all over my face and... Uh, so we got a little bit of a head cold here today. So I apologize for that, but really wanted to get this intro recorded uh, to a conversation I had a week or two back with a, a really a really cool guy, a bright guy named Jacob. Um, I've known Jacob since he was a kid. He's uh, only 24 now, but has been sober for a couple of years and is doing pretty well, uh, but really lived quite a lot of, of life in, uh, you know, eight or 10 years of addiction and uh not surprising. I, I'm seeing as I talk to more and more addicts um, that, uh, you know, you go through a lot of life when you're living pretty hard and fast and, and uh, engaging in this, this type of behavior. So, uh, but he has a really unique insight, I think, into uh, maybe some fairly common um, behavioral traits and mindset uh, traits of addicts and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him and I, I think that there's some some interesting stuff in the conversation for people who are looking to kind of change their behavior and find something else to uh, channel those addictive tendencies into so I uh, hope you enjoy this and find it useful and if you do uh, letting me know would be great but even more importantly maybe sharing the podcast with somebody that you think could use it uh, if you have an addict in your life or know someone that uh, is, is trying or thinking about changing their life and their behavior, my goal is to reach those people and, and help them live a, a healthier, more productive and meaningful life uh, than being tethered to, to some of these demons. So thanks again for listening and uh, pass it along. Thanks very much. All right. I think we're recording. How's that sound over there for you? You want to get a little more? How's that sound? No. Sounds great, man. Cool. Uh, all right. I'm here with Jacob. We're having a conversation. Uh, this is, uh, I'll do kind of an intro, I guess, so I don't um, need to get too into that right now. But um, 
Jacob's family, Jacob's friend. We just kind of reconnected recently, and uh, I wanted, you know, we chatted a little bit, and and it kind of came to my attention that he's in recovery, and therefore, you know, it sparked my interest, and I'm, this is, doing this podcast is something that I think about a lot right now, and, and think about my motives behind it, and how it helps me, uh, you know, clarify my thinking and stay sober, so um you know kind of maybe without you know we can i guess start at the beginning tell me a little bit about your background and um you know you're a young guy how you kind of got into um you know negative behavior i guess and kind of where you go from there so tell me a little bit about yourself well um for mention my name's jacob i um i'm 24 and my sobriety date is 5 15 um, just about two and a half years sober. I work with a sponsor, um, work the 12 steps, and I attend meetings regularly. Um, I guess, where to begin? Um, I, I think, oh man, that's a very broad question. So you I, got, I, I mean, you got sober at 22? 22, Yeah, correct. I mean, so how did... Um, what led to it? Yeah, how do, I mean, what was your upbringing like? Were you around addiction right out of the gates? Were you the opposite and had? I, yeah, I, I I was never. Um, I grew up in a middle class family. Um, parents divorced at a young age, but ne- you know, alcohol was never really. It was present in my home, but it was never um, abused. It was, you know, my parents are. Um, for lack of a better word, normies, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I was never really, um, exposed to, um, destructive drinking or behaviors for that matter. And, um, you know, I, it, it really just kind of manifested itself in me and I was destined to make the choices I was, I had made. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess it all, it, it, it started around, you know, it when I was very young, from what I can remember, um, there was always a curiosity with mind-altering substances. There was always a draw towards them. They were very alluring. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess what I didn't see at the time that I see now, um, you know, is I, I was just kind of null to numb to the consequences of my actions I guess you could say from a very young age Mm -hmm. um I was thrill seeking and kind of a a problematic child I I did okay in school didn't really apply myself um was more focused elsewhere in um yeah I I I don't know I I get I get kind of tripped up by this because it's you know I, I I do think about it often and I've, I've worked it a lot but I, I guess you could say um, I always felt a, a sense of lacking or a lack of belonging and um, I don't know it, it, you know substances just kind of seemed like a good idea it all seemed like a good idea at the time and my use progressed um, how for, old were you when you first started doing I guess anything um, Seventh grade was when um, I think my my notable usage began. Sorry, I'm a little jumbled. That's all good. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, it, it was. It, it started when I was in junior high, seventh grade. I, I can't kind of put my finger on the age, but um, you know, it, and it started with you know drinking at friends' houses and experimenting and and things of that nature. And another thing I didn't see at the time was I I always um, used in excess, and I didn't see that for what it was like, whether I was. Um, you know, stealing alcohol from my parents or stealing alcohol alcohol from my friends' parents, I, I always drank to get drunk. And it was always like a, I was always just compelled to. You know, I didn't really see any point in not doing so. Um, and, and that, you know, and that progressed into smoking pot and seeking pills and things of that nature. And, you know, another thing I, ne- I didn't notice at the time was it didn't really matter what it was. It, you know, it never mattered to me. Um, like I said, I was very numb to consequences of my actions and repercussions and things. And I never experienced many legal consequences growing up or into my usage. And so that was always kind of a, a thing I was good at. It's very good at manipulation and lying and hiding my true nature, hiding the true nature of things, I guess you could say. Um, I'm sorry. I feel I feel like I'm rambling. No, no, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is the story. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of what I'm seeking, is, or just helps understand what you know. Mm-hmm. When people are in recovery, it's like you obviously had to quit something that at least you thought was pretty bad. Yeah. So the history of how it started and what you were up to is relevant, of course. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I, I always, um, I don't know, I, I have found this is a, a common theme in recovery. It's like this sense of not belonging, you know, kind of like this outcast feeling. And um, I noticed from a young age I could change the way I acted in front of certain people to get them to like me, and yet I would still feel excluded in a way. And so there was always this, um, I always had a lack of like self, like a, a feeling of self, I guess you could say. And that, that took a long time and a lot of work to realize, you know, I'm okay just being, you know, being me. And um, when I was using, I didn't have to think about any of that. I could just, you know, I could alter um, the best way I guess I can put it is I, I would supplement artificial feelings so I didn't have to deal with reality so I could I could from a young age I figured out how I could alter the way I was feeling to feel how I wanted to so I didn't have to deal and cope in a healthy way um, because I thought that was healthy you know and, and that that just plays into the delusion that is addiction um, you know it all it's like my favorite thing to say it all seemed like a good idea it all mm-hmm. seemed to make sense um, you know, and, and I, I would get, uh, you know, I'd get reprimanded or get drug tested and I would find a way around it and find a way to, you know, cheat on a drug test so I could keep using. And like I said, it, it just stopping altogether just never occurred to me. Um, what were you getting drug tested for? How did that come um, about that you were put in a position where you had to? I, 
I, I guess, like, I thought, you know, I thought it was a genius in my youth, you know. I'd, of course. Um, and uh, you know, my parents, they're very, they're smart. They're not, they weren't clueless, um, but they um, quickly started to realize there was not a whole lot they can do, and they tried. They tried their very best. And I, um, I, I believe that drug testing started, I think, I came home, I was high and my dad caught me and just kind of, ins you know, and ensued the drug testing for marijuana. And um, I think on that test, he found some other illicit substances, which I was able to con my way out of. Like, there's no way, you know, I've never, you know, and yeah. it was just like the cycle of bullshit and lies and deception. And, um, you know, and I've since made amends, but it was, you know, it, it just never, I never saw the insanity for what it was. Sure. And, um, you know, it, it's hard to ask for help or want help when you don't think you need it. And something I faced a lot um, towards the end was I, um, when I moved to harder substances was I thought this was my solution. I thought this is what was helping me and people were trying to take that away from me and I so I saw that as like adverse you know like they don't understand they don't you know they and um you know in reality it was just delusion because um, I thought I knew what was best for me and and so I um my youth progressed throughout high school and got worse and worse um and when I was 17 I got kicked out of my dad's house. I went to live with my mother and then I got kicked out of her house. And so I, um, I ran to California to live with my grandmother and out there, um, you know, I got a job and I became an EMT. Um, but my youth started spiraling out of control after I got my EMT certification. Um, I made it in two weeks through community college and dropped out and was lying the whole time. And, um, you know, it was a very scary period of my life. Um, you know, it was around, you know, and it was eight when I turned 18. Um, I experienced a manic episode, which led to a diagnosis of bipolar and so, um, you know, in, in many ways, I, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, medicating the way I felt to feel another way with supplement, supplementing artificial feelings. Um, and that had a lot to do with my mental health issues. You know, mental health is very synonymous with drug use. You know, it's two aspects of my life that I'm powerless over and yet are manageable. Um, and they coincide because if I'm, if I'm using, um, my mental health is not manageable, but if I'm, and if I'm taking my medication like I'm supposed to and using my medication isn't working like it's intended to, and within that spectrum lies like a lot of, you know, deceit, like I spent many years lying to doctors about using and um, struggling with medication and not taking medication and, um, the area of powerlessness I deal with as far as mental health goes is um, there will be time I, I feel bipolar is very misunderstood 
and there's many times where I'll feel great and I'll be like, I don't need my meds. And then at the same time, when I'm feeling very bad and low, I'll be like, these aren't working. And so I deal with that kind of double-edged sword, you know, and at the same time in my addiction, when times were good, I'd get high and when times were bad, I'd get higher. It didn't matter. I didn't need any excuse to get high. I just had to, you know, seemingly. And so um, that was illuminated and I never took it seriously until um, about two and a half years ago. And it's, a, you know, one of the huge reasons I'm still sober today is because I'm managing both of those areas of my life, my mental health and my addiction, because they, they go hand in hand. I can't have one without the other. Um, and, uh, you know, fast forwarding a bit, I had that manic episode. I moved back home. Um, I had my first experience in a sober house. Um, and I didn't take it seriously. Um, I didn't want it. I didn't have a desire. Was that sort of parents said, Hey, if you want to be back here, you gotta, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in, I was in inpatient, um, in a psych ward for a while. And, um, the recommendation, you know, was that I go to a sober house and, uh, I went, but like I said, I, I never, I never really gave it a chance. I didn't have a desire. What is that like? What's is there like a routine or a schedule or anything in a sober house, or is it just hey, you're around people who are all all have the same goal of trying to um, live sober? Well, there's there's rules and restrictions that are in place that are there. Like you have certain freedoms, but at the same time, like there's curfews. There's a mandatory number of meetings you need to go to. They require you require you to have a sponsor, and you know these rules are you know they're not. Um, meant to inhibit you in any way that in fact they're they're very they're structured very carefully so that you can prosper but you know i fought the rules because i didn't want it you know Mm -hmm. i didn't see it um for what it was and i um i look back now and i'm very eternally grateful for my time in my sober house because you're there with eight or nine guys who are trying to get hopefully trying to get sober just like you and you got to learn how to live and learn how to think and have fun again and it's you know I say all the time to me the secret of AA is just one addict conversing with another that's Mm -hmm. what's kept me sober and it's the camaraderie of those houses that kept me sober and, and still does the relationships I've formed and things of that nature and um back to it like I said I, I I never took it seriously and I and I in my mind um, devised this great scheme like I was I, I like came to terms that I was an addict because I had most most of my issues lied with narcotics at this point and so I labeled myself an addict and but I um, wouldn't label myself an alcoholic and, and this is my this is all my thought process at the sure. time. So I, I was like, I'm an addict, not an alcoholic, because I didn't have a problem with drinking, you know, and that made perfect sense to me at the time. And so I moved from a three quarter house, which is more restricted to a halfway house. And the very first night I was there, I began drinking because um, I didn't see anything wrong with that. You know, that was my my and, and you know, and the fact that I was, you know, I just got released from a psych ward and I was in a sober house, but 
somehow it was okay for me to drink you know like that like that was my it's insane but like that like that was my thinking at the time you know i was a genius you know i was i was i was a genius and and i didn't see anything abnormal with that and i convinced a friend of mine who went to the u of m to pick me up on weekends and i go and party and you know all the while living in a sober house lying on my ass my house manager and my friends and family that i was doing so great and all of this stuff and um um but yeah not now i can i can see that for what it is you know it's insanity and it's a great reminder um because if i take my will back you know that is what i'm destined to do i'm destined to make you know if not the same very similar choices again because like that's you know that's me with my best interest in mind getting drunk in a sober house like that's you know like that was my best thinking and how does um, that just sorry to interrupt but no, how does that even logistically work like you're you're going back to a, a halfway house fucked up or something you know you're um well i i guess i i should have mentioned i i moved to a house where there was a fair bit of enabling going on i had a very there wasn't a lot of structure and, and you get you can you find great sober houses um great house managers and then you find bad ones and i found a bad one sure and um my house manager more or less knew um was never really there didn't uh you know usually you have to check in at a certain point at night and you have to pre-plan overnights and there was none of that there was no house meetings or like there was no fellowship within the house so um you know i certainly don't blame him um for the choices i made like i said i was destined to make them that was where i was at but the fact that i was in that environment did not it only perpetuated things right um and so at that point um you know i was functioning if you will and um i had the brilliant idea of pursuing a, a dream i'd always had because i was in a great place <laughs> of going to college in new york at um, the culinary institute of america somewhere i had always wanted to go and i went out there and i you know i prospered um fairly well and it, it's a very the kitchen is I, I've been working as a cook ever since I was 14 hmm. and culinary arts is a passion of mine and there's a very strange um, you know, I talked about enabling amongst the um, kitchen industry there's a very strange sense of enabling going on because as long as you're able to put out good food that looks good they don't really care how fucked up you are sure you know and, and that's very widespread and it's a very um real problem and what that's since why i've moved from that profession at least temporarily because i just i couldn't put my foot back there because it was very scary for me i used to work at a restaurant in high school and uh or in junior high too and that was like my first job job and yeah the cooks would all smoke weed in the basement and come up and it's yeah. like yeah game on <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's time for work and i and i i say too like that's kind of they allow that you know like i said as long as you're putting out good product they allow that because you're getting overworked and underpaid yeah you know and that's kind of how i always felt was you know 
for any like any boss I work with because they're you know they obviously have worked in the industry they know what goes on but they don't care as long as they can underpay you and yeah you put out good food like they don't care yeah and so I did fairly well um you know I'm skirting over a lot of details but trying to hit the main points I did fairly well in cooking school and um I was drinking and every day before class and um you know I had a very toxic relationship at the time um you know and and I it's something I haven't touched on yet but I've always thrown myself into relationships um you know seeking happiness and um companionship and things and you know, I had no business doing it because I had an inability to love myself, and um, and and it's my of my belief that I, you know, you have no business being with someone, loving someone if you can't love yourself. And I, I never really figured that out, and and I would treat people poorly, and just you know, I would be this illusion of myself, and then my true self would show. And in anyway, it just bred a lot of toxic relationships but that's a whole nother tangent I can go on if we have time but um she was supportive of my semi-sobriety somehow I convinced her it was a you know not abnormal and um and uh I went oh we broke up and uh I I said to myself you've been doing so good you deserve to get high and so I planned out um smoking weed with a friend and you know another glimpse into the insanity of addiction is i had this all planned out this great night we were gonna get high and you know it was gonna be great and i go over there and we we smoked and he was like all right that's enough for me and i hadn't had enough you know i hadn't, sm- I hadn't smoked in like a, over a year and we smoked a joint he's like all right man you know i'm going to bed really high we've been drinking and I was like, okay. So he went to bed and I, I stole all of his weed and his booze and I, and I smoked it all by myself. And, um, you know, I almost like broke his computer and like all this this crazy shit. And like, that was day one. That was day one of going back to it. Sure. And it's another thing I think about, like, that's where I go. That is like, instantly where i go when i go back right you know like i go back to robbing a classmate and smoking all of his weed and drinking all of his liquor and then the next day being like i don't know yeah you know like instantly i just get i i go um right back to that and uh so that happened started smoking weed and started slipping in school more and more because it you know started you know it became every day instantly and um, all the while I was, you know, in this state of ignorance, you know, like happy-go-lucky, like things are fine. And I um, I went on uh, externship, which is my school does. It's like a paid internship. Basically, you go out, you gain experience, you work at a nice place and for half a year. And um, then you come back and you finish your schooling. And um, while I was out there, I... You know, got this mentality of, I'm on vacation, you know, I'm just going to do a little cocaine, you know, because that 
synonymous with vacation, but I'm in school, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not on vacation. I'm being graded for this. And, um, that, and then in the, ba- in the progression of a week, when I got from when I got there about a week later, I was IVing heroin Whoa. and, um, this was in New York this city. Is, this still? was in Utah. Oh, okay. So I moved so you to went Utah. I was in I was in New York. I moved to Utah, and a week into that externship, I was IVing heroin, and um, I uh, I did that the whole time I was there, um, and I I passed my externship, but I a couple months in, I actually tore. I had a month and a half left of my externship, and I tore my ACL, MCL, and my meniscus skiing, and through <laughs> some stroke of um, malicious genius and intoxication, I, I managed to finish my externship with that injury, working on it, so I would pass, you know, and and it and it just shows the lengths I was willing to go to cover it up and like maintain that I'm fine, and I wasn't because um, I knew if I went to the hospital. Um, they would test me and I would get expelled from school because I'd fail for all, these sure. for all these drugs I was on. And so I worked on it for a month and a half and I passed my externship. I got the surgery. Um, and, you know, I, I should have mentioned, like, I had been off and on taking my meds. And so I was just in this, um, this weird cycle up until this point. And then when I, I started IVing, I stopped taking my meds altogether, and um, you know I got the surgery. I, um, I basically doctor shopped for Percocet and um, gathered a very unhealthy addiction to that. And then, like I said, I I passed my externship. I destroyed a lot of relationships while I was out there, and then I moved back to New York and. Um, you know, I was stealing clonopin from my friends and I found a doctor out there to prescribe me more Percocet. I told him I had lost my script from my doctor, you know, and then this whole line of insanity and, um, and, uh, about a month into my schooling, um, using copiously, I had another mental breakdown, mental manic episode. Um, and I was hospitalized for about two months and, um, it was within those two months. Um, like I said, I know I'm skirting a lot of details, but it was within those two months that I, um, it was a very, I'm not, it wasn't a divine moment, but it was, it was this moment of clarity, I guess I could say where I just, I found within me this desire like at for I was granted perspective like this fleeting perspective of my life and what it had amount you know I I guess you could say I hit bottom sure in that psych ward I had a lot of time you know I was in there for Mother's Day and my mom's birthday my brother and my mom were road tripping out to see me and um you know I didn't have any clothes I showed up there basically naked and they were coming out to visit me in New York they ended up visiting me in the psych ward, I hardly remember seeing them, and um, I had to get clothes from my uncle who lived in New York, and um, 
you know, and it was just like thing it it as I stabilized, I started to see things for what they were, and I I hit my bottom in there, and I found desire. In in hitting my bottom, that is where I found my desire to get sober, and I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but that's when I started to want it, and I would you know, cry hysterically to both my parents every night on the phone from there. And, um, yeah, my dad came out to pick me up finally when I was released. And, um, cause I like, I told him and my mom, you know, mostly everything that I had been doing. And, um, my dad came out and said, I talked to, people at Hazleton Plymouth and there's openings for you and when we get you back to Minnesota we can bring you there like the day we get there and I said yes and I did 60 days of inpatient treatment and um, and uh, I've been sober ever since but um, this lastly not lastly but something that you know, really stuck with me is like I said, I didn't, I, I had a desire, but I was, I was scared shitless, you know, cause I had never, I hadn't been sober for years and years and years. I didn't, you know, I was terrified. I didn't know any other way to live. And, um, a piece of advice, my, cause I would always call my dad when I was in Plymouth in rehab and it's like, what can I do? I felt terrible. I didn't feel worthy of a second chance or a, you know, millionth chance at this point and and um my dad said all you can do because i would ask him like what can i do to repay you and you know i was trying to make these fleeting amends at the time and he said all you can do is live with integrity and you know i just i had no sense of morals or a moral compass or ethics or goals or anything and i don't know why that you know what he said then really stuck with me but it has ever since. And that's really what I've like molded um, myself around is just integrity is, is saying what I mean, because I am so good at lying. I am so good at manipulation that, and I was so good at it, I didn't see it. I, you know, I, I, it was just, I would just revert to it. And I would, you know, I was just a compul like compulsive liar. And, you know, what my dad said to me that day really granted me perspective like I don't have to live like this you know because I I didn't see any other way of life and um did yeah he, that did, really did he have any um you said he didn't have any history in addiction or anything no. had he been like reading about it or oh, anything yeah. while you were oh yeah him my mom my my stepmom my dad my dad um you know, I have a very very strong relationship with him and he you know he dove in books and um listen to things and call doctors and he was you know and he's you know i love my parents but my dad has been a huge advocate for me sure and well i ask because it's i mean it's obviously wise counsel but it's so yeah. it sounds like a good baseline for somebody who's trying to get sober mm -hmm. and you're grasping you're just trying to find anything, anything. to cling to for uh, you know a set of scaffolding for how to live your life you know mm -hmm. and it's like just live with integrity yeah you know and, and it and it did that was a it was very big for me because it was very simple yet so 
intricate and complex, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so many variables to that. Um, but it really, at the time, you know, the reason I always think back from it, back to it, is because it just it helps slow me down and think like, you know, because like there's all these things I wanted to do, right? Like I wanted to say I'm sorry to a million people and I wanted to change everything. And and he said all you know, live with integrity right now. You know, it, it's very much like the next right thing like I can't I, I'm not you know I can't control the future but I can control right now what I do next and um, you know that's why I worked very hard is so I you know can maintain doing that and I, I just I don't want to revert back and um, but yeah it, it, it's definitely stuck with me you know because he you know he and my mom and so much of my family were just mortified because there was, you know, nothing they could do at this point. You know, my dad didn't want to kick me out of the house, nor did my mom. But it was, re- you know, I look back and it's one of the best things they could have done because it, it, it's, you know, I, you know, I was bringing them down with me, you know, and hmm. it was just like, I can't imagine how devastating that must have been, but they couldn't do anything for me. And I'm sure that, you know, that must have killed them. But um, you know, they loved me when I couldn't love myself, you know, and that kind of ties into my, um, belief that there is something going on. It's cause like there was people that were there for me when I wasn't there for myself. And that to me is proof that by some divine thing, I'm still here. Cause I didn't, you know, I, how I was living, it's not that I wanted to die. It's just, I didn't care if I did, hmm. you know, you You've talked about that a couple times, and I wanted to get back to that, you know, that idea of not being able to to love yourself. Talk more about that. I mean, what do you think that is? And, and where my thinking and where it was kind of tied in was like when you said as a kid, you know, I don't think it's uncommon at all for addicts to just feel uncomfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say once that um, – I don't remember the exact context, but it was like, I think people who are not addicts presume that, (laughs) and and there's certainly people who use drugs and alcohol because they're just like party animals, but they presume that you take these substances just because you're like, I want to get, you know, I want to party all the time. And, Mm -hmm. And maybe that can be how it starts for people. But I heard somebody say once that an addict you know they're they're feeling pain from something and the use of alcohol or marijuana or or heroin or cocaine or whatever is just what the the ingredient they put into their chemistry to feel normal Mm -hmm. that's all it is Mm -hmm. and so i'm just curious because i you know as i think about myself getting sober and what you know is yeah like what is it that made you as a little kid just not feel comfortable in your own skin or not feel normal around other people um you know that's it's a great question because um you know it's been it's been proven that addicts and alcoholics male and female um all we all possess a imbalance in our brain a lack of what makes us happy serotonin and so Hmm. From a young age, we try to fill that with, um, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking very broadly here, but, you know, I'll 
speak personally. I, I, I tried to fill it with what I thought would make me happy, and that was acceptance um, by everyone, um, trying to make everyone happy, and, um, you know, not really paying attention to, you know, making myself happy. You know, it was never a priority for me, I guess. And, um, and so I, I can, I can totally rate, relate to that, you know, like, you know, I, it was this, you know, sure, I would drink into oblivion and use into oblivion, but it was, it was always seeking that, like you said, that sense of normality, you know, it was like a, it, like I said, it was a necessity. It was, it was, a, it was how I saw fit to exist. It was like, this is what I had to do. And I didn't know why or what was compelling me to do so. But I, I possess an imbalance in my brain and then I possess this mental illness that creates even more of an imbalance. So it would create these um, crazy dynamic twists, you know, in my mentality. And I could just, you know, shoot something, smoke something, drink something that would even me out, you know. And, and I think um, it's one of the reasons I was able to function for so long is because you know, that was my normality being fucked up, you know, it wasn't even being fucked up. It was just being like, that's how I thought I had to do things. So no, that's a great question. You know, I just, yeah, I think I'm rambling again, but that's no, a, it's a it, very thought provoking question. Well, I mean, it's, it's like the most, Im, you know, it's the most important question is what, yeah. what am I trying to achieve with, um, you know, my, uh, my dad's an addict. I've talked, you know, he's doing well, but he's been through, uh, he's been through 12 step programs and recovery and Hazelden and the whole bit, you know, and when I kind of basically first started talking to him about, you know, a desire to not have to use drugs or alcohol to feel normal. I mean, that was essentially what he said is like <laughs> you have to you have to not to have any hope of, of feeling okay you have to not like have this need to change the way you feel right now mm -hmm. to just it took a long time it's really hard <laughs> it's it's and it's terrifying you know like i said like that's you know you just grow so accustomed to it it's terrifying to think of life without it, you know, and just like the thought of it um, was so overwhelming, you know, and just staying in the moment and being like, you know, these five minutes are going to be fine, not fucked up was so hard because like I was thinking like I got to be sober for the rest of my life or I'm going to die. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's overwhelming, yeah. you know, but it, if you just slow it down and you know, and it's so much so easier said than done but it, it took you know i was a year sober and i was miserable yeah i wanted to get high so bad huh. and i was a year sober i didn't do shit with my time yeah you know i'm two and a half years now you know and i'm happier than i've ever been it's be, and it's because i've applied myself yeah you know and it's and it's learning to change the way i think without getting high that was so difficult because i associated everything with I'd wake up, I'd get high, take a shower, get high. Like I said, good or bad, it was always there. Right. It had to be there. And so, you know, I talked about like the merit of 
living with people that are, you know, getting sober. And it's like, you know, I, I remember the first couple times, like, I'd go play Frisbee golf. I always got high when I played Frisbee golf. Right. You know? But it was like, yeah, it's, it's not bad, I guess. Yeah. You know? But it was like, nothing was fun. <laughs> not you know? Because, right. like, I would always, always obsess, like, oh, man, this would be way better if I was trashed. Yeah, of course. You know? And I, like... And and the best example I think I can think of is like I've I've a dear friend of mine, and over these past two years, well mostly a year because I didn't feel comfortable seeing live music for a while, but because it was very synonymous for me sure. with getting fucked up. I right. love music, you know, and and here and I was, oh my god, like you gotta be high before you listen to this song. It enhances, and I've been to more shows than I've ever been to in the past year and a half. I'm not going to, you know, uh, two and a half years, but in a year and a half, sure. I like, I went to a show with my dad. I saw Bob Mould and it was incredible. And I was sober. I was present. I remember everything, mm-hmm. you know, I had a great time. Like I danced and, and sang along and like just got high listening to music. Yeah. And I didn't think that was possible. And it is. Right. <laughs> and it's like, and it's these little things that I, I feel sometimes, you know, People not in the program are like, yeah, dude, and like, it's, you know, but like, it, it's little things that I don't think about and that were so hard for me, but it's, it's, it's like music has been, is such a big part of my life and I've been able to see, you know, so many bands like, um, and just enjoy it for what it is because I've learned how to enjoy it, not fucked up. And I think that's so important is that re-immersing yourself and not living in fear Cause I was terrified to go to concerts, but then I like I went to one with my dad, yeah, who was, like I said, a huge advocate for me, very supportive, yeah, and um, I I remember it very well. Like I didn't obsess about getting high because I was ready. Like I worked up to that. You know, I was not ready. Right when I got sober to go to a show, hell no, I would have gotten high. Yeah. But I waited, and I went to one with him, and it was an incredible experience. Um. You know, and I, um, I, I found great solace in climbing. Um, it's a healthy escape because when I'm climbing, if I'm not focused on exactly what I'm doing, I'm going to fail and I don't like to fail. I want to, I want to do things right and I want to do things well. Um, and if I'm not focused, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. And so it's just me and that wall and everything outside doesn't matter. And it, it's just great for me because I am sucked in to this hyper focus that I possess. That's a very, it's an attribute of mine, you know, like this hyper focus. And it, it's just, it's so freeing and meditative because it's a mind and body experience. It's a workout. And, um, you know, I, I climbing and music and, you know, there's a um, dusty old pool hall. <laughs> right outside is right outside of St. Paul on Larpenter that I, I, I think I, I was there every other day getting sober, you know, played pool for six, seven hours mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and, and I'm not gonna lie, like I was miserable at first, but I, I stuck with it because I knew, um, I trusted the process, I guess you could say. Yeah. And that was a very hard thing for me to do because I didn't trust anyone but myself. And you know allowing love into my life and trust into my life and gaining trust and building trust with others and building relationships 
um, did not come easy, but I am so glad, so eternally grateful to the program and, and trusting in the program and what it has to offer, um, you know, because I wouldn't be here. And, and I, like I said, um, it's, you know, talking with another addict that has kept me sober. You know, I, you know, you can, I, I, I just think, yeah, I'm rambling again, but I'm grateful. I'm very, I'm very, just very grateful. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, that's, that's basically what the beginning of the big book says, right? Is like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't remember exactly, but the, the doctor or Bill or whoever is talking to, and he says, you know, there's no hope for me. And he says, well, I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. Yep. You know, or whatever. It's like by talking about this is what helps me stay sober. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, and the, the, the word selfish gets tossed around, but I'm learning how to be selfish in the right ways. You know, I'm learning how to take care of myself and that's not selfish. That's just like basic. Like it's a thing yeah. that you do. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of like, uh, you know, um, I think about it in, meetings and stuff there's a lot of things that become kind of cliche but they're cliche for a reason you know i mean Mm -hmm. like you were saying it's like you trusted in the program and it's like well i you know you have to trust in the program because if i continue to do the things i've always done i'll continue to have the things i've always had which Mm -hmm. is a shit show of a life you know or whatever you know like Mm -hmm. so it's it's funny because i'm you know like a in my career, I, it's, you know, I read all the dorky Anthony Robbins stuff and just like self-helpy stuff, but it, it, that stuff's real and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, the power of Mm -hmm. your mind and the way you think about things and, you know, you change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. And, you know, I mean, just some of these sayings and things, but they're real because you have to you you have to continue to work on yourself and there's an you know another one that we were talking about like obviously addicts are very self-involved and mm-hmm. um but you know people always use the the expression or the cliche about the when you're on the airplane and the flight attendant says you have to put your own mask mm-hmm. on before you put somebody and it's like but that's true you can't be yeah you can't be related to any use for anyone else or none help other people if you're a mess on your own and i and i think something you said um, when we started talking there, the, the whole, like, um, it was about like destined to repeat the same mistakes you've made. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, um, upon, like when I came to realize that, cause it's like, there's one thing learning something and then there's applying it and, and living it. And that was something I'd learned and didn't know and didn't apply for a long time. But once I started applying that and that's when I started to gain perspective, another thing I'm so eternally grateful grateful for his perspective like like i said before a couple times like i didn't see any wrong in what i was doing you know and when i grabbed hold of that like that perspective like i don't have to live like i was Mm -hmm. you know because i saw it for what it was and that like that is another moment that i really started making progress is like i could see things for what they were you know like program we talk about defects of character and shortcomings mm-hmm. like manipulation anger um you know and but i didn't see those as defects you know they were there i like to think of them as my instincts run riot 
and I let them. I perpetuated those. Like, cause I I liked being angry. Hmm. I liked being. Mad. Why Why I, do you think that was? Because cause I could get what I wanted, hmm. you know. And that's and it was a it was a defense mechanism, you know. Like internally I was just shattered, but outwardly I was this brash, aggressive, angry guy that you know was people were fearful of, and I liked that. I had a sense of pride in that. And you know, you talk about junkie pride. Like I was very proud to be angry and manipulative because like I said like I I could get what I wanted hmm. and I was very good at that and I didn't see that for what it was and like I'm you know in, in, in the steps like there's this like removal of, of shortcomings and I and I, I struggle with that for a long time it's like well I'm not gonna I'm gonna be angry again I'm gonna be you know mm-hmm. all of these things again but when we talk about perspective is I'm gonna get angry again but I don't have to get angry like I used to and be destructive there's a way to be mad and constructive. Like I can respond to situations now rather than just react. And I think that was another very pivotal moment for me is learning that and applying that. Like I can take a step back and respond rather than react. Cause when I'm react, I'm doing it full of emotion and I'm letting my deflex flourish and I'm being angry and manipulative. Like I, I like to be, but I see it for what it is and I can respond to a situation and um, excuse me, be constructive instead of detrimental. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's another big area for me, you know, cause I, I didn't see anything wrong with stealing from someone or um, being verbally hurtful to someone. I didn't see anything wrong with that. And I can see that for what it is now. And I don't want to live like that. <laughs> hmm. uh, earlier you said, you kind of were able to avoid any major consequences. Do you think if you'd gotten in trouble for anything that it would have changed the course? Or do you think your personality or your will was just going to run you to, to um, the edge? You know, I've thought about that a lot, and I, I should have clarified. When I say um, consequences, I meant more like legal. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I mean. Like, do you um, think if you'd ever gotten, you know... I I like I I like to hope so, um, but I I you know I um you know I I just like I I I had to this will kind of illuminate where I'm getting to like I I used with my brother for a long time and I've made amends with him um, but I still struggle with it you know I I felt like I perpetuated it and I caused it and I started it and and he told me that statement like I was destined make my own choices like I was gonna make I was gonna do what I was gonna do and so I can look back and and be hopeful like you know like man if I would have gotten locked up like maybe I would have been sober sooner Mm -hmm. but um, I look at that as kind of like a reservation and I can't hold on to that like I'm here now and I'm stoked like I'm fucking I'm sorry I'm, I'm happy and I'm here I'm I'm at where I'm at and what I've done has led me to where I'm at um but like I, <coughs> another side note, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I, there was an instance where I, I overdosed on a research chemical and um, I was fighting cops and pulling tasers out of myself. And I, um, they told my dad that I, I, they didn't think I was going to make it. Like I got picked up, I got brought to the hospital and they thought I was going to die. Hmm. And what's a research chemical? It's like a. It's 
basically what I was um, seeking at the time was it was like a synthetic acid. Okay. And it's a very dirty, um, <coughs> um, you know, and it basically what it is, like they don't know a whole lot about it and it's like a, a chemical they're researching and sending out and it's 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 a very dangerous game because you really don't know what you're getting sure so did you i mean you were in did you get it through like a research facility or I you just somebody on was online okay i was very savvy with ordering things illicitly um and uh yeah and then the next morning i i my dad picked me up and we got food and he told me that and i laughed at him you know i i my dad told me that they thought I was going to die, and I laughed at him, and I, I said something along the lines of, well, I'll just avoid that. Like, I didn't care, you know? And, like, that's where I was, and I never want to go back to that because that's really sick. Yeah. But, you know, I, but I was so sick. Like, that, like, I was able to laugh at my own death, you know, or the, the thought, you know, and, like, I think about that now, and, like, I cringe, and I, I just, I feel so, you know... And I've I've talked with my dad about it, and I made amends with my father. But yet I still feel vi like that. That's the true nature. I just I didn't care. I didn't care about anyone else. I didn't care about myself. And uh, so yeah, but that that wasn't bottom for me. I I laughed about it, yeah. you know. And it just shows like I just didn't care. And it's really scary, you know. Is your brother doing okay? He seems to be. Um, I'd rather not talk about him. I, I if, understand if that. If that's okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I just... Uh, that's a v valid question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just seems like a, a pretty common thread of this, like, self-loathing, and that's the... You know, I, I've only done a handful of these shows, but I'm starting to talk to more addicts in the program and stuff. And I think what's just so fascinating about it is you'll see, um, you know, you, I'm sure you saw. I mean, you you described your background. It's like, yeah, there was a divorce, but a relatively middle class, happy, mm -hmm. you know, bright group of people. Uh, you know, I was in a meeting yesterday and there's this guy talking about. You know, I've been on methamphetamine for 20 years and I was in foster care my whole life and abuse and just, you know, like as bad as you can picture a situation. And then mm -hmm. you're then the next guy to talk is like, yeah, I'm a CEO and I, you know, <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it's just like people have these. Um, it's like this something in our brains that uh, it makes it very, very difficult to just. I don't know. I mean, I think about it all the time. I, I, you know, told the story a little bit on a previous podcast, but like for me, um, my dad, grandpa's on both sides. I was having coffee with my dad the other day and he was telling me about growing up in South Minneapolis, you know, I mean, he's, his dad was a pretty hard drinker. He said he didn't drink at home too much, but he, you know, he sold cars and would stop at the bar every day or whatever and but it was like such a family thing in the 50s and probably early 60s i mean he's saying yeah, he can remember being 10 years old and they took a car or they took a train to northern michigan to see his family and somehow he had like 
snuck a bunch of the booze into a flask and he's sitting on this railroad car as like a 10 year old i have a daughter that's 10 years old like if i saw if my daughter my daughter is in a good way you know so incredibly sheltered the mm-hmm. thought of her drinking yeah. alcohol right now is like not in a zillion years you know and my dad's in a household where he feels cool he's on a train acting like a grown-up sipping out of a flask at 10 years old or there's a you know halloween party he said and everybody goes home and he he woke up the you know the next morning and goes down to the basement and there's you know drinks left all over the place and he's sitting there taking swigs out of drinks and stuff you know and it just so it started him you know for him super early and my mom's dad and all you know throughout the whole family and i mean i started drinking at like 13 and i kind of like you i mean i had a couple friends that got duis but i used to drive from st paul to hugo shit-faced regularly i mean i remember regular high school weekend nights the rare times i wasn't sleeping at a friend's we'd get 12 you know cases of ice house which is just shitty beer but it's high octane we had this beer bong that you just put on top of the bottle and uh we'd take a big swig off the top of it so there was some space in the bottle fill it with southern comfort put the beer bong on it boom down the hatch and you'd do like six or eight of those so it's like 16 drinks or something you know i better sober up for an hour have a glass Mm -hmm. of water and then drive 30 miles home and I did it regularly. I don't know how many times I'd hit those ridges on the side of the freeway and it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, like, whoa, good thing those are there. I mean, pulling into my parents' driveway and I step out of the car and stumble and it's like, good thing I was sitting down for that ride. You know, just yeah. like, holy shit. Like, what? This is not. And that went on until I was 33 and was just like, I'm going to take a year off. You know, I'm going to just let's just see what this year is like. I mean, and it, for me, I've talked in the program with other people about it is like, there was plenty of those times in high school. And as I got a little older, it, it moderated a little bit, you know, there's still the weddings where you go. And that's what was also so, um, such an eye opener upon like stopping drinking was how ubiquitous it is in society. I mean, everybody, knows somebody that's nearly died from alcohol and people just treat it like oh you really tied one on you know Mm -hmm. oh he's he's a pile of shit this monday morning because he was you know he drank 40 drinks over the weekend and it's like oh he was just blowing off some steam or whatever and it's like it's desensitized yeah it's gross and uh i don't know so i got when when i made the decision to stop i wasn't at a point where i was like getting obliterated every night or anything but it was getting to a point where it was like, it's rare that there isn't a night where I'm drinking some, and I found myself less and less having two or three, you know, good beers, and instead I'm buying Coors Light so I can have six or seven or eight beers, and it's mm-hmm. you know just like, you know, I remember talking to my dad about that at that time where I'm doing the mental dialogue of, well, I'm just okay, I'm gonna take ten, you know, let's just cut it to. Two nights a week, one weeknight, mm-hmm. one weekend night, and then, uh, well, I did three this week, so I'll borrow from next week. You know, I mean, just, yep. I mean, you know, just talks all, about it in the book. Yeah, it's, all the yeah the negotiations we do mm-hmm. with ourselves, and it's made perfect sense. You know, yeah. like at the time, I'm sure, like, I can relate to that, totally. <laughs> and when you stop, and then just see how 
like you said, the discomfort for a full year with just, I mean, it's like first Thanksgiving without, you know, mm-hmm. getting completely obliterated. First Christmas, first barbecue, first trip to the beach, first, you know, it's like all these situations I saw for me. And, and what I was talking with my dad about the other day is actually like, I mean, I'm 37 years old and haven't drank for four years and, you know, haven't smoked pot for a little while, a couple months now and, and in the program because I found that I could do that uh, and didn't, you know, didn't do that for like eight months. And then for whatever reason, just like you said, it was like, you know what, I've been pretty well behaved. I mm-hmm. think it's time to get high again. And then it's like, this is not it's scary. This is not fixing any of my problems and it's not mm-hmm. achieving what I want it to achieve. So I, if I continue to do what I've always done, I'm going to get what I've always had. So I might as well try this program out and it, it's going pretty well, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Just the, the, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I can, I can relate a lot to that. Like I said, in my first year of sobriety, I was not present, you know, I was kind of put it on the back burner and, um, I would kind of, like I said, I associated so much with getting high. It was hard to not do things high and mm-hmm. find joy in that. And now it, it's the complete opposite. You know, I get to experience these things. Like I get to experience family dinners again where I wasn't being invited. Mm. I get to experience holidays, my family sober, remember things, enjoy myself music and um you know it's a blessing you know whereas in the past i don't give a shit if i wasn't invited to something but hell yeah you know i couldn't use how i wanted to anyway mm-hmm. so but it's like now i get to be sober you know it, it's i'm very grateful for that and yeah that took a while you know before i was like sweet <laughs> yeah you know but i i, I can relate you know 100 percent do you, um, aside from going to meetings now, I mean, you talked a little bit about climbing and about music, and I mean, clearly the perspective change is a pretty big contributing factor to helping you stay sober, but is there anything else that, like, any other lifestyle changes or anything that you made that you feel are integral to you staying sober? Um, I, I surround myself with people in the program um i i you know i think that's a monumental change um you know if if, if you don't in my opinion if you don't change that nothing's going to change because i've met the most incredible people through this program who truly have my best interests in mind and um you know although i i had many friends who i used with they didn't have my best interests in mind Mm-hmm. and um that was a hard thing to to realize and it was and it's tough because i'm i'm home you know i i spent a long time moving around and being whoever i wanted to be but i'm home and you know i know a lot of people here a lot of people i used to use with and that was a very tough switch um but i've never met more amazing people in my life than in the rooms and um so i think that's huge um uh, another thing is service. I I don't. I admittedly don't do it as much as I should. But I I have 
um, you know, it, it's once or twice a month I'll go to a adolescent treatment center and speak to kids, you know, and, and um, you know, and, and it's, it's just, you know, I often, the last time I went, I got very passionate, and, you know, like I, I just, because it, it, that's what keeps you sober is talking, mm-hmm. you know, and to maintain perspective and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, one addict to another, and I, I love the, um, like speaking with kids, you know, people close to my age, not even kids. It's just so amazing, you know, because I, I, I don't go there to just drone on about the book or I talk about my life and I, I talk about things that I hope they can relate to just, you know, because, you know, I remember in high school, we had a, a group come in like that and this big scary looking guy and, a, um, you know, very scary looking woman, you know, come talk to us about drugs and I'm sitting, you know, and the the guy at one point was like, we could see the faces of people who are struggling and I like broke out in tears, mm-hmm. you know, and they like talked to me afterwards and it didn't stick with me, but I, I thought about it a lot over my youth, what they said. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I hope that something I can say might resonate. And, um, you know, it's just, it's an incredible feeling service work. It's, it's really great. <laughs> For lack of a better word, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I, healthy outlets. I play a lot of pool. I rock climb. I um, like making music with my friends and um, just good sober fun. I guess finding hobbies, you know. And I never used to like being by myself until I got a cat. Love having cats. <laughs> it's great. Sure. You know, and it, and I I I make light of it, but they're really great for helping me just be at peace with myself because I always feel like this need to like be stimulated and like surround myself with people and that's where I get you know I'm an extrovert that's where I get my energy is other people so I often don't take time for myself and just like read and cool it and yeah cats are great you got a great cop out like oh gotta go home see the cat next <laughs> thing you know I'm relaxing which I don't do a lot yeah <laughs> but uh that's great it is a different thing, though, like, um, I still find myself, like, you know, I'm friends with all the people I've been friends with my whole life, and, I mean, some of them, you know, still drink and smoke and do whatever they do, and some of them do it less, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not seeing these people every single day or anything, but it's just like, um, you know, you know who I'm married to, I live in a community, we have kids, there's always... And just the, it's still a, it's hard to like, not be so like wine focused. You know, I yeah. mean everything is just, oh, we're getting together and we'll bring the margaritas and the wine and stuff. And I feel like, I was always Mister Extrovert as well. You know, I mm-hmm. mean because it was just like, we're going a hundred miles an hour and we I got you know, everybody here drinks. Okay, cool. Is anybody is anyone cool? Yeah. <laughs> everybody smoke? Can I sneak away with anybody or? whatever and and now as trying to be like a basically the only person in my um not maybe not the only i don't know but you know like in my circle of people mm-hmm. that's not drinking or mostly drinking but you know and i didn't mean to you know i i i have some old friends that still use 
you know, occasionally that love me for me and support me for me. I, I didn't mean to discredit any. No, I know that. Know, and I just, what I mean is more is it's, it's difficult to, or it's still a work in progress to learn how to be like comfortable in your own skin yeah. or living just mm-hmm. with, um, you know, Hey, um, not going to go to dad's night out. Cause I, roll up and order a fizzy water and eat some chicken wings and then i'm like well it's 9 30 i'll see you guys later yeah. you know what i mean yeah it, and so maybe you know i like you said finding healthier outlets i mean i started doing jujitsu almost a, two years ago and i'm pretty geeked on that and that's similar to like you were saying it's like moving meditation it's a human chess match you know what mm-hmm. i mean you're if if you're not fully focused on what you're doing at the moment you lose concentration for 15 seconds and all of a sudden you're getting choked or your arm is getting broken and it's like, all Mm -hmm. right, well, (laughs) yeah, I don't want that to happen again. How do I avoid that? And it's, I find that those types of things are pretty integral to putting this, trying to channel or funnel this, this energy that burns pretty hot. You know, Mm -hmm. how do I do this where it used to be just like, I'm just going to either numb this energy out or, you know, put it into, yeah, you know, getting rambunctious into something more productive, and like you were saying about the service stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm working in the program too, and really hoping that this podcast can sort of serve as part of that. You know, like if it, because I know I have a few people that I that, you know, this can be a taboo subject for people. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's can be pretty sensitive to people. And I know of at least a few friends that have said they listened to some of the other ones, and it, I know that they would like to live a different lifestyle than the lifestyle they've always lived. And so hopefully if it kind of compels people to, you know, do better, I guess that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I, I, I talked a little bit about, like, living in fear and, you know, being miserable for that first year and during that first year I was you know I was putting myself in situations like seeing old friends and going to parties that I really had no business going to Mm -hmm. you know and um you know but at the same time I I, you know it's not you know like I you know like my brother got married there was a lot of alcohol at the wedding Mm. didn't phase me but there was definitely a point in my sobriety where that would have been horrifying for me you know, yeah. and, and I'm glad to say today, like I thought didn't even cross my mind. Right. You know, I had alcohol offered to me by many people Yeah. and I was just like, no, you know, I don't have to sit there and be like, no, I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just like, it doesn't even, you know, and, and that to me just eliminates the progress. Like I, I just, you know, I'm just like, no, I, I have no desire to, and right. that did not happen overnight, you know, but, um, you know, and, and recently, um, a friend of mine is in town from Philly, and I went with my cousin and his girlfriend and her and I, and we went to uh, Up Down, an arcade bar in Minneapolis, and I had a great time playing skee-ball and Tetris and this Pac-Man, yeah. and they drank, you know, and um, they're all respectful. They, you know, all, my, my cousin is always asks, you know, does this bother you? And, um, you know, I, I'm certainly not advocating doing that like in early sobriety but like i'm at a point where it just it doesn't faze me and i don't i don't see it as an only way to have fun right if if people want to drink and do their thing 
doesn't bother me. Yeah. It did, <laughs> but it doesn't anymore. And it's it's but it, it's tricky. It, it took a long time and a lot of hard work, but I can't. I don't want to live in fear of something. Yeah. You know? Well, once you get to that point, because I actually have found now that if people if people hear that I don't drink and then feel like they shouldn't drink, oh. you know, it's like, that's Ho- even worse. It's horrible. Yeah. It's yeah. like, don't change your routine because of me. That's the last yep. thing I need. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, you know, <laughs> and it, but it, it's, it's always like I, I said, my cousin always asks and you know, I, I, I tell him it's just the fact that he asks that means so much yeah, to me, of course. you know? And, mm-hmm. um, another thing too is like, I would not, you know, I'm in a, a, a strong place in my sobriety where I'm not going to place myself intentionally in a position that would be, um, not like affect my sobriety adversely. Yeah. You know, I, I say it, it doesn't phase me when people use, I'm not going to go hang out at an old trap house yeah. around people that are shooting up. Cause I don't mind, you know, <laughs> right. like I'm not going to do that, right. but I'm not going to be like, do you guys mind not drinking? Like, I don't care. Right. I don't, you right. know, like, you know, yeah. and I, and I can, and I can joke and, and be funny about it and, you know, and I can order a Virgin Long Island, which yeah. is a splash of Coke. And I think it's hilarious. Yeah. It gets, you know, or it, and I, it, or a Virgin vodka Red Bull and yeah. you can get a Red Bull. Yeah. I do that every time Yeah, because it's hilarious to me, you know, and the bartenders love it. But, yeah. um, but you know, it's, but I, 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 I think the moral of, the story or what I'm trying to get at is like, I have learned how to have fun again, even, you know, and it's, it's great. <laughs> I got to ask what, uh, what is IV and heroin? <laughs> I mean, I, oh, I know what it intravenously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but I mean, how in the world does that, I mean, you just mean shooting heroin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I th- I'm, I'm picturing, uh, an IV drip. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Well, I, I should have, I should have well, dictated no, that. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, like I said, it just got to a point where I, I didn't care. Um, and that was, I had, you know, I've used crack, I've used meth, I've used PCP, um, and heroin was kind of the final frontier, uh, unfortunately. And yeah, that's kind I of the crown jewel, right? Unfortunately. Was <laughs> yeah, there, was I, there I, ever I, a time where you, it, with any of them that you were just like, this is a, this is a line now that I'm crossing or was it just sort of, it was just like, Oh, sure. Like there was never a time like things just, I, I just got more and more desensitized and I did that to myself where I just stopped caring less and less and less until heroin was in front of me. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. You know? And, um, and as far as, you know, I had, I had a very short period, um, you know, and, there I'm minimizing, but I had a, the period I was shooting up was not exceedingly long, but it's the fact that I did it at all, you know, yeah. that is terrifying. Um, you know, and I, it was literally just for efficiency's sake, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's terrifying, you know, but I, cause like that's at the time it's like, this is a good idea, yeah. you know, in my mind, it's like, this is great, <laughs> you know? And yeah. now it's like, what? <laughs> I can see that, but right. I, I like, you know, and I never want to go back to that, you know, cause I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck in that delusion. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty nasty. I mean, just the the depths of despair that must feel like. Mm-hmm. No, at the same time, it was all that seeking normality. Just that was normal everyday life, you know, to me, you know, like that, you know, and you grow up hearing horror stories and how horrible these things are and but in today's media things are glamorized and you know rapped about and sung about and it's just it's it's a scary world we live in you know getting fucked up is glamorous now yeah and it's horrible <laughs> that's a whole nother topic that's a whole nother hour <laughs> <laughs> and my qualms with that you mean with the glamorization of yes substance abuse and how desensitized people are yeah youth adults yeah it's it's a hard thing for me as a you know into i don't know if you'd call it political but like prohibition didn't work right i mean you can't no. legislate behavior really That's you know what i mean so very well put yeah, <laughs> very, so yeah. so like with weed it's like yeah weed should be legal everywhere probably all drugs should be legal and then put you know, a tenth of the money that goes into the drug war into helping people with rehab and right. mental health and, you know, these things that are really the, the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just <laughs> I don't know, because it, it's it, it could also a lot of people argue or maybe I just listen to too much Rogan or something. But like, you know, you our brains are a series of chemical reactions. You know, I mean, that's basically what they are. So I know for, at least for me, when I was um, smoking a lot of pot, not drinking anymore, but feeling evangelical about the benefits of pot and Mm -hmm. trying to pretend that it was a, it is a different substance, but for me personally, using pot is the same reasons that I would be drinking or if I went Mm -hmm. into any of the others, you know, and I've tried a few others, you know, drugs and stuff but just for me i mean the few times i tried coke when i was younger i was just like i know that i don't ever want to not feel this way so i'm just not i can't do this Mm. because this this is how i would want to feel all the time if i could and it just you know this is not a good idea so just knock it on the head and be done with it but um but like with pot when i got into smoking a lot and just like i said you could be or I was evangelical about it because I was like, there's all these benefits right. and look at me, I'm getting high and I get up in the morning at four thirty and go to the gym and I, you know, handle my business and I'm having my best year of my career. And I'm, you know, all these yep. different, you know, and I hang out with my kids and teach them, you know, I mean, just all this, again, the, the, the negotiating you do with your own brain or with your, you know, with yourself and it's your incredible. own brain of, you know, I'm, I know what I'm talking about and this is all normal, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would listen to these neuroscientists and, you know, all these people talking about like the brain is just a series of these chemical reactions and whether it's nicotine or caffeine or cannabis or, you know, THC or cocaine or alcohol or whatever, you know, we use drugs all the time every day and then look at everybody you know that drinks coffee i mean i drink coffee like a madman mm-hmm. why you know in my mind at least at the time i would say like cannabis isn't any different than um 
the amount that I use caffeine or, right. you know. Right. But the reality is it was just, and, and actually I don't know that I, well, I don't know. I, I go back and forth. When I was doing it, I felt that way. Then when I stopped smoking, I felt like all the people who, you know, who are like weed evangelists and talk about how innocuous it is. It's like, yeah, it's definitely a lot less bad for you than uh, alcohol and obviously the rest of, you know, other drugs and prescription drugs, all these different things. But it, it's pretty easy if you're in love with something to evangelize about it. And right. Act yeah. Like and it's completely innocuous. And I, I, I think to that exact point, you know, I talked a bit about my delusion with alcohol, you know, mm-hmm. and solely relying on the fact that it was socially acceptable. And um, many of my consequences did not lie directly because of alcohol, you know, and, and therein started my rationalizations with myself about why it was okay and why it was a good idea and in my mind I was just this genius you know I yeah. figured it out and yeah um you know now I, I identify as an addict because um I don't distinguish between substance it yeah. doesn't matter if it was um stealing whippets from work when I was 14 or the my experience using heroin like yeah. it doesn't matter what it is right it's mind-altering I'm going to overdo it or I'm going to do it to a degree that is detrimental and not healthy. Right. You know, regardless of what it is. Right. It doesn't matter. You know, and, and I, that took a long time. It took a long time for me. Um, cause like I said, with my progression, you know, like the getting sober, um, without desire and then moving to alcohol and moving to weed and that progression, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it spiraled worse than it ever had been faster than it ever had been. Mm-hmm. And you know it was all it's all a good idea in my at the time right you know, I, that's why I love saying that because like I to have to laugh now I yeah. do you know it, it's it's it, it's it's a form of acceptance for me because like if I can't laugh at that you know at how I thought that was a good idea like you know I don't know what I can you know I don't know what to do like yeah. I, I got like it's comical it because it, it is you know like thinking about you know the mental gymnastics i do about why things were a good idea or why this was good for me and like or arguing with my dad in junior high about oh it's a plant man it's like well that plant is illegal <laughs> yeah you know and and and, I, and you know and like i i remember oh god yeah i remember those conversations with my father and oh man yeah but yeah I, I, and you're too young it, your brain isn't fully formed and right you know yeah. and i remember having those like it's hard to it's hard to know exactly because I mean, like I said, I have kids that are getting older now, and I I am terrified that they'll behave the way I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also you know at the same time like I remember going to college and there was the kids who never drank in high school, mm-hmm. and they got to college and were free and they went were, insane. Were fucking complete jackasses, and I remember being proud you know like yeah look at this amateur hour over here like i've been getting shit faced for five years you babies you know yep, it's just yeah. it's ridiculous obviously but i mean so having kids that are getting older you know and, and we'll have to have these conversations with them at some point but yeah if my uh kids are 14 or 15 and they want you know i find out that they're getting high it's like uh, i definitely want to put a stop to this but i know that maybe I would rather have them do that than be drinking alcohol or, you know, I mean, Mm. I don't know. So I just know, 
I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting. My kids noticed, you know, I remember talking to my wife pretty early, you know, when I stopped drinking because I'd read a study that was like, do you know what the number one predictor of kids drinking is? And it's like if they see their parents drinking. So, I mean, I know at our house when our kids were littler and sometimes still, I mean, they're like, they take a wine glass and check me out. I'm, a, I'm an adult, you know, yeah. and it's like, this is not a, you know, the, the writings on the wall here. And so they're starting, you know, they've noticed that I don't drink anymore and I haven't, you know, specifically said, a, you know, dad has a problem, but isn't it <laughs> funny though, that drinking is just synonymous somehow with, with manhood or womanhood like yeah. that, like that, that's what it means to be an adult. I certainly thought that. Like, oh, hell yeah. You know? And then, and then, you know, I think therein lies so much of my re- rationalizations. Like, everyone's doing this. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's like it, 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 um, it becomes meme-like. Like mm. every, <laughs> I mean, I recognize the the um, kind of the demographic I run in, like middle class, you know, primarily white uh, kids, soccer mom suburbanite whatever call Mm -hmm. it whatever you want i mean everybody's facebook feed is just like you know bring over the bottle of wine and we'll fold laundry together (laughs) you know i mean it's just it's all it is is talking about more wine more wine i mean it's like and that's just pub crawl for every holiday yeah every weekend yeah it's like you know like people need an excuse to just get obscenely fucked up yeah you know <laughs> i mean tailgating you know i know my kids would ask about tailgating and car and i trying to dance around it's like it's people getting shit-faced in a parking lot all day yeah <laughs> like, there's nothing is. tailgating is a glamorous way of saying yeah you know like we just have a glamorous way of saying getting shit-faced yeah day drinking and yeah anyway, so because yeah. it's o- because that's okay you know if right. you call it sunday Monday. yeah if you call it tailgating yeah it's totally fine to get yeah. You know, hammered. Yeah, that one seemed to come about in the last couple of years. It didn't seem as uh, ubiquitous previously for me as the Sunday fun day. It's just like 11 o'clock in the morning. Here's a picture of the Bloody Mary. You know, it's like, oh, all right. Well. Yeah. So, I, but it, again, I don't want to be like this hater on if other people are able to responsibly do things and it doesn't affect them the way it affects yep. me. I mean, all I'm trying to do is get right in my own mind mm-hmm. and my own skin. Right. And if other people are able to, you know, have a beer and it just doesn't, they don't think about it, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had this talk with people that I know that I'm, that are, that are able to smoke pot sometimes and they're good people and they care about me and they're like, mm-hmm. man, you, you know, they're uh, not like too, they're just like, you take good care of yourself. You're a good dad. You, you do well professionally. Like, it's, you can smoke once or you know, every couple months or something, big deal, you know, and it's like what they don't understand is they're able to puff and relax and, you know, go mm-hmm. to a concert or just chill in their backyard and have a bonfire on a beautiful fall evening. It's like, that sounds amazing. But I can't but do the that. problem is then the next morning I get up and go, when's the next bonfire in the beautiful fall right. evening and when's the next trip to the cabin and when's the next, yep. you know, pontoon ride and when's the next, you know, and it's just like, and you could say that it's three years from now and every single day in my mind, I'm knocking the day off the calendar. That's actually an interesting one. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about it, but people who always talk about like, Oh, I'm not an addict. I went two months without doing this. (laughs) And it was, 
You know, it's like, yeah, how but how many how better? many times in that two months did you think about getting destroyed? You know, it's like it's kind of skirted around how they actually felt. Yeah, you know, and and um, you know, I I I talked to my family and friends who are normies mm-hmm. um, about addiction, and you know, it's something that they'll never um, understand because they're not addict and alcoholics. They mm-hmm. they might be able to relate to some things or. Um, learn about some things but they'll never i don't think you can truly understand something in, unless you've lived it mm-hmm. and, and and i would never want any of my friends and family to live it or know it and i'm very glad that they don't mm-hmm. um and i just back you know to li- like your your friends like they have nothing but the best intentions i'm sure mm-hmm. but they just they don't understand because they never will right you know because and um you know because like you could explain that to them like how you would wake up and be like, I want to get high. When's you know when's the next bonfire? Like you said, yeah. Um, and and I'm assuming their response would be like, you know, th- they just wouldn't get it, or they w- would say relatively the same thing. And and I I have fu- I've learned a kind of a funny joke. It's like, well, if I could if I could drink normally, you know, I'd do it every day. <laughs> right, you know? right. And I I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because it, it's it's. It, it, it just to me it like illuminates like um, a little bit of the addict and alcoholic thought process you know it's like if i could drink normally i do it all the time right you know but well it's, <laughs> it's just what i when i had to kind of have this conversation with my wife about what the issue is for me is what i said is that i'm a binary thinker it's it's mm. either off or it's on right if so you know if something is extremes yeah if, if something is allowed then it needs to be allowed all the time whenever i want i need to you know I'm that way about fitness. I'm that way about jujitsu. I'm, that, you know, just whatever I decide. I was talking to my dad about it the other day, you know, and he, he's always had hobbies with toy trains and classic cars and antiques. And, and for him, it was always just like either it's perfect, it's perfect condition. He's restoring these machines or, you know, whatever it is, or it just doesn't give a shit at all. It's right. just, it's like not, suddenly I don't care about it anymore. He was t- telling me, you know, it sounds stupid but he was telling me a story about his you know for his business he had uh, he had a you know a toolbox with he just had all these to work on pinball machines and stuff like that and he had every tool was precisely placed and it was his toolbox was perfect and he could be working on a machine and not even look at the toolbox he just reach over and knew where each individual thing was and then his van got broken into and his toolbox got stolen and from then on it was just his new toolbox was a cardboard box with a bunch of shit just thrown yeah. in it because it was just destroyed. It was, you know, it was ruined. And that's kind of the way I, you know, think about it too. So it's just like, yeah, um, to, to interject, I, I, um, like you spoke about jujitsu, I spoke about climbing. I, that's why I think, um, outlets like that are so imperative because they, 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 um, train you in a way to get outside of that because that can be unhealthy that perfectionistic nature can can manifest itself in unhealthy ways you know throughout mm-hmm. our whole use like i didn't like to do things i wasn't good at mm-hmm. you know but i was great at getting high so why do i stop doing that right so that's why i love like climbing is um constantly humbled constantly and like i and ev- and every like everyone i've met who's better than me has been so willing to help me mm-hmm. you know like my boss i have a great mentor who's all who's a climber and um it's just like this constant reminder of like you know 
you know, that oh, there's always going to be someone better than me. Such mm-hmm. a great example. Um, but I can't tell you how many things I quit because I wasn't initially good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so common in, in the community. Um, and I think, um, you know, like you talked about him, like that hyper-focus, making something so perfect, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think in many ways that like kind of illuminates, um, like in myself, like how I wanted myself to be like this ideal self. And yet I was always so troubled. And then I would always supplement and get high. So I would like be at peace or feel normal. Cause mm-hmm. I was always had this sense of like, not enough, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm a failure and these limited thoughts that were so constant. And yet, then I could just kind of hit a button and I was getting high and everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. You know? And so there's like that escapism kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. That's the disease, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to add or talk about? No, I, um, I kind of, I had an idea beforehand and kind of got a little jumbled, but ultimately talked about everything I wanted to, I think. So great. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, with that, we'll sign off. Thanks, man. Thank you. So thank you again for listening, and uh, if you uh, learned anything or if you feel there's anything to be learned from the conversation, please don't be shy about sharing it with your friends. Thanks so much. Take care.